We are in Romans chapter 12. We are looking at verses 9 through 21. As I was saying, we've been doing that for some time. This is now part 7. I've said to you before that I'm really just working slowly through the text intentionally. There's no reason to, to kind of go quickly through it. These are important things that Paul is discussing and deserve our close attention. We need to spend some time on them. We're also, you know, kind of reviewing as we go. Let me read the text, and then we'll, we'll get into the passages here. Beginning in verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Last, actually two weeks ago, uh, last week Thomas preached, uh, but last, last two weeks ago we looked at verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, okay? And one of the uh, quotes I gave you, I'll just give to you again, this is just a little bit of review, was this, one writer said this, the old nature says, curse them. That's that old, sinful, fallen nature. That's, that's how that nature responds to persecution, okay? But God says this, according to his word, ask me to bless them. Really, it kind of is what he's getting at. Don't, don't curse them, rather bless them. Bless those who persecute you. And I just want to remind you that the uh, old nature is no longer your master. According to Romans chapter 6, that we've already looked at in great length and detail. That is for the Christian, for the one who's been born again. If you're not a Christian, then sin is your master. You're under its bondage and slavery. And it's a wicked bondage. It's a destructive bondage. But you, Christian, if that is who you are here today, it's not your master, but let me tell you something. It wants to be. It wants to Take that role again that it once had that Jesus took away from it. Not only that, it will tell you that it is your master. It will continue to try to convince you of that very thing, that you must surrender to it, that you must give in to it. Beloved, don't do it. Don't do it. That 
what I'm telling you right now applies across the board to every single exhortation that we're seeing in, this, in these passages. Every rule, every command, sin will come along and tell you something else. It will tell you the opposite. It will tell you do exactly what God doesn't want you to do, and it will tell you that you have to, that you must. Don't believe the lie. I've said that before in Romans 6. I'll say it again many times before the Lord takes me home as long as he allows me to preach from this pulpit. Don't believe the lie. It's not true. Another quote that we took from there uh, concerning verse 14 a couple weeks ago was this. One writer said this, just kind of concluding. He said, we should not speak evil about the persecutor or get delight in thinking of evil things that could happen to him. We should bless him. So that's kind of the meaning of the text. Then he goes on to say, needless to say, this is not a natural or easy thing to do. Huh? That's true. Living out the Christian life is not easy, beloved. If anybody told you it was, they lied. They lied or they're in la-la land. They have some type of other Christianity they're thinking of that's not biblical Christianity. It is, I'm going to tell you, it is easier to go with the current of the world and your fallen flesh. It is. But the consequences of doing that are devastating and unsatisfying. I'm just going with the flow, man. Don't go with the flow. Where that flow takes you, where that river is going, the world's river, is to hell. And if you're a Christian and you pick up on that river, it's to your own self-destruction as a believer. And that's what Thomas is kind of taking us through Proverbs. Don't do it. Walk in the paths of righteousness. Don't be a fool. And yeah, beloved, that is hard work. Okay, it's hard work. But it's not impossible work. For those who have been born again, it's not impossible. And it is truly the greatest work that you can give yourself to because that life, living for God, living in obedience to him, will satisfy you. It will. And it will bring blessing into your life, the blessing that God desires for it. The believer beloved, must continually choose to obey God and believe that he can by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within him. That is the life of faith. I've said that before, all these bogus, false faith teachers that are spread all over our televisions. When they talk about faith, they talk about believing that God's going to fill your bank account with money if you send in $100 to their ministry. That is not the life of faith. That is robbery. That is lies and deceit. That is false teaching. The life of faith, beloved, is believing the word of God and living by that faith. Believing that you now are free to walk in the path of righteousness, that the bondage of sin has been broken in your life, and that within you, that Holy Spirit we read about this morning that indwells every believer, he lives in you. And, And what is his name? Holy Spirit. He empowers you. It's the Spirit of God. He empowers you to live for him. 
It's a life of faith. It's a life of sanctification. It is the transformed life. Beloved, the Christian life is supernatural living. That's what it is. And so I just say all of that as as we lead into just another exhortation that we have here to remind you again of things maybe you already know, but you need to hear it again. And maybe you don't know, so you need to hear it. You need to hear it. This week, we're going to look at verse 15. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's it, just one verse again. Now listen, I will tie this back to verse 15 in a moment, but I want to take you to another verse. I'm going to tie it back in a second. Jesus says this, you're probably familiar with it. He says this in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This is what Jesus says, a new commandment, he's speaking to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also, my disciples, are to love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. Sacrificially, willingly, unselfishly. By this, this love that they'll have for one another, all people will know that you are my, my disciples. By this, all people will know that you are my, my disciples. And he states what I just said. If you, what? Have Christian bumper stickers on your car. If you wear a cross around your neck. If you attend church regularly. Huh? If you've been baptized, he doesn't say any of that. Now, being baptized, attending church regularly, wearing crosses around your neck, and Christian bumper stickers are all fine and wonderful and even commanded, in some cases, baptism and attending church, according to the Scriptures, okay? They're commanded of the believer, okay? But that was not the thing. What was the thing that would would definitely define and characterize those who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who say they're Christian, those who really are Christian. What was it? What is it? Love for one another. Not any kind of love, but the very love that Jesus had for them that I just described, sacrificial, willing, devoted to them, self-giving, all of that, right? Okay. And as we've already discussed in part one of this Uh, sermon series here we're doing in this section in part one the very first sermon i did when we looked at verse of this section in verse nine where paul says let love be genuine i told you then and i want you to if you didn't write it down would you write it down right now would you write it down if you didn't write it down before i said we can define biblical love based on what we know about love according to the scriptures according to jesus christ who is the model of this love That love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. I'm going to keep saying that too. It is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. It is not emotionalism. It is not sentimentality. It is not those things. That's the world's definition of love, which is really something else. It's not a biblical definition of love. It's not ooey-gooey feelings. We may have ooey-gooey feelings, but that's, that is primarily not what biblical love is. It is this, is willful devotion 
It is self-giving, giving of oneself for the good of another. Huh? And we know that because we have Christ as our model. Now, keeping that all in mind, one commentator says this concerning Paul's exhortation to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Here's what he says. Love, the kind of love I'm just, I was just talking about. Love never stands aloof. That just means removed or distant. Removed or distant. Love never stands aloof from other people's joys or pains. Love, this kind of love, identifies with them, sings with them, and suffers with them. Love enters deeply into their experiences and their emotions, their laughter and their tears, and feels solidarity, unity with them, whatever their mood. Beloved, Paul's exhortation to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep is really just a matter of Christian love. That's what it is. It's Christian love. And in the context of the church, the body of Christ, it is simply a manifestation of the genuine love that we are to have for one another as disciples of Jesus Christ, as brothers and sisters in the redeemed, justified, reconciled, forgiven, and beloved family of God. You with me? Okay. Let me digress for a moment and say here, say this right now. If you're here today and you're not sure or you know you're not part of the family of God, and there are certainly likely some here in, in those situations. They either they know they're not part of the family of God or they're not, they're not really sure, but you have a desire to be. Or you, you want to know more about that, then I want to say that we want to speak to you. We want to speak with you. We want to talk to you, either after the service, okay? Thomas will be up here. I'll be up here. We're standing up here for you. We want to speak with you. And if that makes you uncomfortable, or you have to jet out of here right after the service, on these connection cards, on the front of the connection card, there's a little spot where you can write, I'm interested in the very first thing is starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we would like you to mark that, beloved. We would like you to mark that, and then someone will be in contact with you later this week. And then you, you have to give us contact information, obviously, for this to work. But I just wanted to say that. We want to talk with you. I don't assume for a second that everyone in here is a true believer or follower of Jesus Christ. But man, we desire you to be. We desire you to be. Back to our passage. One writer says this concerning this passage, this exhortation, verse 15. God's will, beloved. You know, people are always going, I don't know what God's will is. Read your Bibles. And here it is. God's will is that his children become a family where the joys of one becomes the joys of all, and the pain of one is gladly shared by all the others. Listen, the Christian experience is not one person against the world, but one great family living out together the mandate to care for one another, to care for one another. That's why I've 
said to people who you know, say, well, I don't need to go to church in order to be saved. That, is, that statement in and of itself is, is true. You, it's not going to church, which in that sense they think of a building when the church is people. But I don't need to go on a Sunday morning to be saved. That's right. It just happens to be what saved people do, though. And they do that because that's exactly what God wants them to do. He, he, he desires that for them, not because God's like trying to take away your Sunday morning from you. Like, God, don't you know I'm tired? I got stuff to do. He's not doing that. It's because he loves, he loves you. He loves you. He's, he's caring for you. And the way he cares for you is you being part of the body of Christ. You can't make it on your own, beloved. You won't. I can't. I need this body. I need you. You need me. We need one another. And that is the gift, the blessing of the local church. Don't downplay it, but exalt it in your life, in your heart, and in your mind. God gave it to us as a gift. He doesn't want us to be alone. He wants us to be together caring for one another. And our children, you know, because they need help. They all do need help, and we need help with them. Uh, Now, beloved, verse 15, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, or vice versa, is not complicated. It's not complicated, right? And I don't want to complicate it, but I do want to spend a little time discussing several things with you that I think are important and might be a benefit to you concerning that very instruction. That's what I want to do with the rest of our time. So let me begin like this. First, one of the challenges that you and I will face in fulfilling this command is this, and it is our sinful tendency towards self-centeredness. Or let me define that for you. Being solely or so overly focused on ourselves, our wants, our needs, our problems, our circumstances, our little world, that we either become completely oblivious when it comes to the joyful or painful circumstances of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and consequently then fail to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, or due to self-centeredness, even if we do become aware or mindful of the joyful or painful circumstances of others, We don't really care or give it any considerable thought or take any real action because we have allowed ourselves to be entirely absorbed and consumed by our own self-interest. Self-centeredness. Beloved, listen. It is sin that turns us completely inward. It's sin. You know, psychologists might have some other name for it or something. It's sin. That's what it is. It's sin. It is sin that leads us to concentrate selfishly on our own needs and affairs and show little or no interest in those of others. It is sin that causes us to basically be uninvolved in or indifferent to the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is sin. You hear me? It is sin. 
we need to continually repent of our self-centeredness and sinful self-love wherever it raises its ugly head in our hearts and our minds. That's what we have to do, beloved. As a body of Christ, as a family of God, that is what we have to do. Self-centeredness is so destructive. It ruins marriages. It ruins relationships. It makes the church less than what it should be. And if left unchecked, it wipes a church out. Listen, you may understand this already, but it's worth hearing again. The Christian life is not about looking out for and loving yourself. That's the world's mentality. That's the world's practice. You got to look out for numero uno. That's number one for you people who don't know Spanish. Uh, no, beloved. Contrary to that, it is about looking out for and sincerely loving and caring for and about others. Especially, especially your beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Write it down, look it up. Especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Beloved, we who profess faith in Christ, we are to walk as our Lord and Savior walked. Huh? Who came to this earth not to be served, although he was, he was and is worthy of it, but not to be served, but to serve, beloved, and sacrifice his life for others who didn't deserve it, And who, although he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, nothing, taking the form of a servant. And that's Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, beloved. That's the word of God. Self-centeredness, beloved, is the enemy of Christ-likeness. It's the enemy of Christ-likeness. So we must repent of it. We must turn from it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, we must genuinely care for and love one another as the Bible instructs us to. Huh? I mean, this isn't just within the body of Christ. This would be within your own personal family. It begins there with your wife, with your spouse, with your husband, with your children. But certainly in the context of the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, this family, it certainly applies there as well. Second, so we've got self-centeredness. That's definitely a roadblock to fulfilling this command. Sin is a roadblock to fulfilling all the commands, but self-centeredness specifically will, will make it very difficult. You won't even know. You won't even know what's going on because you're not even thinking about that. You're too busy thinking about you. It's funny because I tell people who do, who are get nervous about public speaking and stuff, something I heard a long time ago, I tell them, listen, I, this is, has been helpful to me. Someone told me this. 
Usually people are nervous about public speaking because they're concerned about what others will think of them. You don't have to worry about that because they don't think about you. They're too busy thinking about themselves. If they think about you, it'll be for like a minute or two, and then they'll immediately default position, oh yeah, me, 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 me. So don't worry about it. Let that go. So, But uh, we repent of that, beloved. Watch yourself. Monitor yourself. See how much your thoughts are concerned mostly with you. Seriously. Second, concerning the command to rejoice with those who rejoice, guess what? The sin of envy. The sin of envy. Okay, now I'm talking about specifically that part of the command. Rejoice with those who rejoice. The sin of envy. Let me define that. It is the resentful or unhappy feeling of wanting somebody else's success or an advantage enjoyed by another. Let me say it again. Envy. The resentful or unhappy feeling of wanting somebody else's success or an advantage enjoyed by another. Envy. And if not repented of, it will keep us from genuinely rejoicing with those who rejoice. It will prevent us from truly being happy with and for others in their successes or blessings or good circumstances or advantages enjoyed by them. Huh? See, we could have just like skipped over it. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. But isn't this so much more fun? <laughs> Sometimes we don't really think these through. You know, why don't I do that? You're self-centered. So repent of it, just like me. Repent of it, okay? Envy, that's why you don't do it. And I thought, I thought to make, even, even in saying that, I thought to make this even clearer in your mind, I thought I would give you some examples. Real potential examples. So let me do that with you. Imagine a married Christian woman who has longed for, prayed for, and tried to conceive a child for some time, but still remains childless. Or if she does conceive, she's unable to keep the child in her womb. And by the way, that would be an opportunity to weep with those who weep. Meanwhile, Some of her sisters in Christ seem to, with ease, repeatedly get pregnant and carry their children to term. Question. Do you think envy, jealousy, and bitterness might be a temptation for this woman? If you don't, you're wrong. I don't know what else to say. You're wrong. And by the way, beloved, listen. All those things I just mentioned, envy, jealousy, and bitterness, they're destructive. They're destructive to that person, that poor woman. Those are destructive things in her life. They're destructive to others around her as they take her down into a terrible place. They'll ruin her if not repented of. 
And beloved, this is, I've said this, but God's way is the best way for our life. It's a, it's a matter of faith. We must believe that. So the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. That is the best way. But what I'm trying to show you are the roadblocks that get in the way of that so you can identify them and call them what they are. Sin, evil, enemies of Christ's likeness, and looking to ruin me. They all must be repented of. So, even though she may feel the pull towards envy or jealousy or bitterness, she must not surrender to it. She must not give in to those things, but instead believe in and continue to trust in the Lord and his loving and good purposes and plans for her. There again, I must believe what the word of God tells me concerning my God. Sin lies to me and tells me something else. Maybe God is not as good as I thought he was. That's sin. It's a lie. By faith I say, that is not true. I believe, I choose to believe rather what the word of God says. My God is good. And oh, by the way, if you've lived with him as your father for any period of time, just go back in your memory banks because you can quickly probably find many other times where he has been good to you. He has shown his faithfulness to you. Recall all of that in the midst of these temptations. But more so than that, recall the word of God. And so, you trust in those things. You begin to delight in him. This is, what, this is how you respond when you're tempted this way. You delight in him and in the salvation that he has graciously given you or her in this example, and the incredible and glorious inheritance that awaits her as a chosen and beloved child of God. And then as a manifestation of Christian love for her pregnant sister in Christ and with confidence in and reliance upon the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, she is to sincerely rejoice with her in the gift of life that is growing in her womb. That's what it means to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's real, beloved. That's real life right there I'm talking about. That's the war that's going on in many people's lives. In light of this command. And why is she to do that? Because of Christian love. Because of Christian love, the unselfish, self-giving love that truly seeks and desires the best for others. So we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we weep with those who weep. You with me? How about another example? Because I'm not done yet. Let's drive it home. Let's drive it home. Just keep thinking. Another example would imagine this. Someone in the body of Christ who does not have a spouse but longs to be married. By the way, these are not hard for me to make up because they're real-life situations that I've faced many times and seen. Longs to have a partner to walk with in this life is tired of being alone. And yet they don't even have any good prospects. <laughs> there are no good men out there. And I have a hard time disagreeing with that. You know, it's like, yeah, there, there, are, there, are, there are good men. There are somewhere. Somewhere you have to trust the Lord. But now even men say there are no good women out there. And that, it used to be, wow, now I have to agree with that too. Wow, that's... Our world is just continually moving closer and closer towards the bottom pit of society and 
morality. And, and so they've been looking, they're looking, and they've been looking for a while, right? And then meanwhile, their married brothers and sisters in Christ are rejoicing in another year of marriage. Or, and they're invited to another wedding where the bride and groom are celebrating and rejoicing in their new marriage. This is real, beloved. Do you think envy or jealousy or bitterness might be a temptation for that single person? Maybe it's a, maybe, you know, single in whatever circumstance of that. Maybe they're divorced and that's a long time ago and they're looking for a partner again. Or maybe they're widowed and they're still young and they're looking for a partner. Huh? And if they surrender to that envy or jealousy or bitterness, then how can they possibly rejoice with those who rejoice in the blessing that marriage is to their brothers and sisters in Christ? They can't. You with me? And so other examples might include one of your brothers and sisters in Christ receiving a new job or a promotion or a new house or a car or maybe having a successful surgery or their... They're talking about their good health, their good health report that came back from the doctor, or any other good success or advantage that might come into their lives and be enjoyed by them. But if you are at a disadvantage in any of those circumstances, then you may be tempted by the desires of your flesh, by your old nature, to resent your brothers and sisters instead of rejoicing (laughs) with your brothers and sisters. But Christian love calls you to rejoice. You see? That unselfish, self-giving love calls you, calls me to rejoice. One writer says this, love that is genuine, true, sincere, love that is biblical, will not respond to a fellow believer's joy with envy or bitterness, but will enter wholeheartedly into that same joy. Let me say this, beloved. This is a great tool, also a diagnostic tool, any of these, right? So you know what the Word of God says. If you're sitting here, I've just said it several times. It's right here in Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And so, In a particular circumstance, you find that you are not rejoicing with those who rejoice. No, no, something else is going on. That's an opportunity for you to call it what it is. Oh, here we go. This is old nature. This is fallen flesh. This is sin. Don't surrender to it. Don't wallow in it. Also, don't beat yourself up over it. I am so terrible. Get over that. I said that a long time ago. Yeah, you are, and so am I, and God redeemed us. He saved us. He reconciled us. He justified us. And our salvation is not yet complete, beloved. We're waiting for glory. We're waiting for the full redemption, which includes our bodies, our fallen bodies. One day, these temptations will cease. One day, our battle with flesh will be over. But until that day, and it won't be in this life, Until that day, we will have to struggle with these things. So stop with the, oh, I'm so too. Yes, you are now. You are a new creation in Christ. Go with that one. That's a better one. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Go with that one. You have been redeemed that you might serve God. Sin is no longer your master. So tell envy and bitterness and jealousy where to go. Back to the grave where they belong. 
and live in the power of the Spirit. And trust that that is the better thing for you because you know what sin does? Oh, no, no, you need to be jealous. You'll be more satisfied envying your sister or brothers in Christ. No, you won't. It'll ruin you. It'll destroy you. No, live in bitterness. That's where you want to be. No, you don't. But beloved, we do it. Why would we do such things? Because we believe the lie. Don't do it. That's what your pastor's saying right now. Don't do it. For your sake and for the sake of your, your brothers and sisters, don't do it. Another writer adds this. Listen, it is distinctively Christian to rejoice in the blessings, honor, and welfare of others, especially fellow believers, no matter what may be our personal circumstances. It is distinctively Christian. Now, I agree with that statement, but I want to ask myself, why? Why is it distinctively Christian? Regardless of our circumstances, we could, have, we could be messed up, man, but somehow Christians still rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep when they're living according to the Word of God, when they're living in submission to it. But why is that? Well, it's simple. First, the obvious one is it's the Bible, okay? That would be the Bible. This is, this is why it's distinctive for Christians, because it is God's revealed will in the Word of God for His children, and his children have been made new creations by God who consequently now have new affections and priorities and desire to live, not perfectly, but desire to live. It's the bend of their lives in subjection to God's will for their lives. Therefore, obedience to God, although not perfect, is the new direction of the Christian's life. It is. It will be, and if it is not, there is no reason to think you're a Christian. Stop with that nonsense. It's just not true. You're deceiving yourselves. Again, I didn't, talk, I didn't say perfection, but obedience is the direction of your life. doesn't mean you won't have some setbacks. It means you won't get into a funk from time to time. But that will be the direction of your life. You'll repent. You'll begin to walk in righteousness once again. By the way, here's another reason. It is distinctively Christian to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. It is the gospel. It is the gospel. How's that, Jeremy? It is like this. In it, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the salvation that he has given us, we find true fulfillment, true satisfaction, true hope. True peace, therefore, regardless of our temporary circumstances here on earth. Did you hear what I said, temporary? We can truly be content. We can because of the gospel and find in that the real freedom to rejoice in the joyful blessings or advantages that God may bestow on others. I'm good. These circumstances are what they are, and they may be bad and ugly, and I may be weeping over them, but in the end, I know I'm good. I'm secure in Christ. I have hope. I have peace. I have a destiny that you would not believe, that I couldn't believe if it were not in the Word of God. And so, if God wants to bless you with this and that and this and that, and and I'm not experiencing that, so be it, because I'm good according to the gospel. I'm justified. I'm reconciled. I'm an adopted child of God. 
Now, just how good I am, maybe you don't know, and other people wouldn't know because my circumstances are a mess, but one day you'll know. One day you'll know how good I am. When he comes again, you'll know. I'll be made like him. You'll know. I'll receive my inheritance. You'll know. And you'll know I am a child of the king. You'll know. So you've got to live in light of that right now. And when you do, it's no sweat off your back if your brothers and sisters are getting blessed. You praise God for it. And then again, the last thing I thought, why is it distinctively Christian? Well, it's the word of God. It's the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit. The one who indwells every true believer in Christ. We are prompted, enabled, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey the Lord in all that he asks us to do, beloved. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, forget it. And the fruit of the Spirit is first and foremost, what is it? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, what is it? Love. Love. That's what the Spirit does in your life. Love. And not that ooey-gooey feeling stuff, but that self-giving, that unselfish, self-giving, willful devotion, that caring commitment that seeks the highest good of the one loved. Third. Wow. Hmm. I look forward to eternity because time is my enemy. <laughs> Third, uh, just something regarding verse 15. I'll do this quick. Concerning the command to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Or, I said mourn with those who mourn because that's how the NIV translates it. So that's just another way to say it. Weep with those who weep or mourn with those who mourn. Just something I want to call your attention to. And it may be obvious, okay? But I'm not afraid to point out the obvious because... Sometimes that can be helpful. If Paul is telling us to weep with those who weep, then it is permissible in various circumstances of life for us to be truly sad or brokenhearted and to mourn and weep and cry. I point that out because... Of the silly idea that I've heard or seen floated around from time to time that Christians should always uh, walk around with a smile on their face or uh, be strong or, or stoic. Beloved, let me just say something. That idea does not come from the Bible. It, it doesn't. It's like positive pop psychology nonsense. You gotta be positive, man. You gotta be positive. That turn your life around. And dude, you obviously had enough bad stuff happen to you, obviously. You live a little bit longer, and then you won't talk like that. And I'm not saying, you know, there's not something to, you know, getting, being all negative. I get all that, but I'm just saying, this idea that I'm just Mr. Smiley all the time, because I'm a Christian, then it, where, what do I do with this passage then? He doesn't say, hey, listen, if you find someone weeping, talk them out of that. Tell them right away, that is not how they should be uh, behaving as a Christian. Uh, don't they know they have glory coming to them and everything else? They need to snap out of that. He doesn't say that. He says, weep with those who weep. And beloved, when Christians start thinking that, that other idea, like we're supposed to walk around with a happy face all the time, that that is what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to act, you know what that does? It leads to Christians putting on a mask. 
or, or withdrawing from the body because they feel guilty or weird for being sad or brokenhearted over difficult or painful circumstances. Listen, beloved, listen. Sorrow, pain, tears, those things are reality in this fallen and broken world. And when someone in our body here is hurting, our attitude toward them shouldn't be, hey, suck it up. Hey, be tough. Or the one I can't stand, don't worry, be happy. Kuna matata. Uh, that's just so unrealistic. Or stop being such a baby. Maybe we wouldn't say it that way, but maybe it comes across in our attitude towards them. Maybe we say it another way. But rather, beloved, according to the word of God, we are to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. Listen, if no one ever weeps in the church, then there is no doubt a lot of pretending going on. Because this life is filled with serious difficulties and setbacks that will cause one to mourn. But, beloved, for us who are Christians, for us who are redeemed, even in the midst of our sorrow, we looked at it in this passage, we can still rejoice in hope. We can still rejoice in hope because one day pain and sorrow will no longer be a part of our reality. It will not be. How do I know that? Well, uh, Revelation. And when you're weeping and you're mourning, you need passages like this just to remind yourself. There, the Apostle John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He, that is God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Beloved, it's okay to mourn, okay? It's okay to grieve. And when you do, the body of Christ should weep with you. Why? Because of love. Because of love, my friends. Because of Christian love. One writer says this, Love that is genuine will bring us to identify so intimately with our brothers and sisters in Christ that their sorrows will become ours. Love doesn't stand aloof from our brothers' and sisters' pains, but it suffers with them. And beloved, let me just close with this, because we're over time, of course. Let me just add this. To weep with those who weep need not be a complicated thing. It need not be a complicated thing. The story is told of a little girl, and I'll explain that, who lost a playmate in death. One day she told her parents that she had gone to comfort the grieving mother. What did you say? Her parents asked, right? Because many times someone who's really 
in that state. They're grieving. They're sad. They're mourning. We're like, I don't even know what to do. So this little girl goes over, and her parents said, what did you say? And the little girl says, nothing. I just climbed up on her lap and cried with her. Huh? There's a place for encouragement. There's a place for the Word of God and, and all of that, but a good place to start is just crying with them, weeping with them, being there for them because you love them. It's a manifestation of Christian love. I'll close with this passage. A scripture, verse from 1 Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul wrote this in verse 12 and 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you so that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, as I've asked before and I ask again, may it have its way with us. May we surrender our, our wills to it. May we also let it be a diagnostic tool of our hearts as we see ourselves potentially failing or actually failing in these areas, these commands, these exhortations, these rules that you have for our life, the way you would want us to live as Christians. And we see that as an opportunity to repent. Just repent. Turn from it. To call it what it is when we, when we go the opposite direction and when we get caught up in our self-centeredness and consumed with all of our self-interest or we give in to the temptation of envy or bitterness or jealousy. Or all these things that seek to destroy us and ruin us. May we see it, see it for what it is. May we repent of it, trust in you and trust in the Spirit of God and to obey your word. And Lord, we know, we know when we're thinking rightly, we know that obedience to your word will, will bring joy to our hearts because you have saved us for that very purpose. Father, even from the beginning, you designed us. You designed us to live for you. And so that is really the gospel and salvation. We have now been freed by the power of the cross to do that very thing, something we could not do until the power of sin was broken in our lives, which Jesus did through the cross. So, Father, we who are redeemed now can live as we were created to, to live for you, our creator. And when we do that, that is when we find real joy, pure joy, delight even, happiness. Let us not believe the lie of sin. Father, help us. Help us to not believe it. That tells us that's not where joy is. That's not where peace and happiness is. No, it's in, it's in this over here. It's in disobedience to God and his word. Father, that's the fight that we all fight. May we fight it by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us and in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.